Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, cheers, my brother. Folks, we have entered a new era in Catholic Stuff Podcasting. This is Father Nathan. This is Father Mike. Um, this is Catholic Stuff You Should Know. And uh, we... The one and only. We uh, we have... We're testing out on a new... Um, a new equipment, and uh, that's partly because of um, uh, the need. We have a need. We have a need, which well, is but, we got to post podcast. I, I need to develop some brain cells and get a memory going here. Oh, I, I mean, left my I left my computer at home. Drove all the way to Father Nathan's Schloss. He came here on time at three p.m. to uh, record our podcast. We then, get all the way down here, and he realized uh, that he had forgotten his computer. No computer. Yeah, and Father Michael's not here, and that's the that's the usual. Right. So, folks, I think that the overwhelming response that all of you have is, why don't you just buy a podcast computer, right? Uh, I can hear him. I can hear I can somebody hear saying right now. right now into their computer, into their whatever apparati, that they use to listen to this podcast, gentlemen, the, the easiest solution is just buy a computer. But uh, there are certain, you know, dissensions in the podcast community um, about whether or not we need a computer. I don't own a computer. Um, I uh, shot my computer for um, for Christmas or Easter, I mean. Mike's got a computer. Did you eat it? Yeah, no. I, got a, I got a computer. But it, it's... It's got the micro USB. It's got a micro USB. It needs an adapter that we don't have tonight. So we need to get one that's operable and that's permanent. Yes. Now, here's the thing. The technology is always changing. But if we can just work with our setup, we could get something consistent here. I I feel like we're complaining often to our – Too often. (laughs) To our (laughs) listener land. Right. You know. So first, but at, I can at, I can applaud good technology. Can I can I celebrate good invention? Yeah, because I, I had this on my mind. Okay, two well two great inventions. I had the pleasure of a reminder from the Gallic children tonight of one of the best inventions ever. Would, go ahead. The Slinky. Slinky's a good one. Oh. Slinky was a clever one. Yeah, but that's not oh. that's not it. Go ahead. What it is is. Um, small sponge animals oh, squished yeah. into little capsules. Yes. That when you put them in right. the warm water in a cup, they hatch from the egg and emerge. Right. Did they have dinosaurs or what were they? It was di- it was dinosaurs. It was buck. It was swordfish. Whoa. It was trout. It was hunter man. What? This thing was... Marvelous. Where did they get this from? I grew a buck and who uh, Matthew guessed correctly that he had chosen the bear. I don't know where they got it. They could have got it anywhere. We're in the Rocky Mountains, Harry. Yeah, that's true. But I've never seen those capsules uh, with trout in them. And then I asked them if they knew about sea monkeys and they had no idea. Hmm. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of late eighties. They're kind of lame. Well, I don't know, and just kind of messy. Okay, so the other invention is um, water. It was like at some point I was trying to imagine this point where God looks looks at the world and says, "Okay, what does it need?" And while he's planning, I suppose you know, um, and then says, "Well, they need water." I'm going to make this really cool because I was looking at the clouds and I'm like, how, why are they so beautiful? Mm. Cumulus. Is that a word? Yeah. What's the big fluffy one? Cumulus. Yeah. Cumulus. It was going way up. There were some dark ones that were raining. And I said, water is amazing technology. Yes. This is like, it's impressive in the sky when it's floating all together like that condensation or whatever. Cumulus. And then it's impressive when it falls to earth and it gives life. And then if it's frozen, 
it's really beautiful and unique. Crystalline snowflakes. I felt. I think it's one of the coolest technologies in the history of the universe. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't. Water. I don't. I've never heard water described as technology, but it was invented by God, so um, he would get some sort of award for that. Well, I was watching uh, uh, Netflix the other day. I don't own Netflix, but somebody I was with somebody who had Netflix, and we were debating about whether or not we should watch different shows. And one of the shows that he recommended was this, this, this rock, this crazy rock or something with uh, Will Smith. Have you seen this? Third Rock from the Sun? Third Rock from the Sun. I don't know what it was called. Anyways. No, no, no. I don't think that's it. No, it's not that. But like... Uh, rock the, of Ages? It's like this crazy planet or something. But like this crazy rock. But we watched the episode where it was like, what do you need to make life? And there were three elements. Mm-hmm. Heat, okay. water, and electricity. And it was like, if you have those three elements, you'll get life. And I'm like, um, I, I don't know. I think there's got to be. What about like carbon and what about what about intelligence? Yeah, you can't just have life come out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden, from these simple elements, come this ordered structure. But I wasn't going to argue with Will Smith. Right, and it's one of those things that's just hard to prove because it's like you could set up an experiment to do this, but in a world that's already set up, already a whole ordered. system right. that's ordered toward life. Or mm-hmm. can so are you really setting up the the conditions with your electricity and your right? Uh, so you didn't buy it, Will Smith. We didn't actually end up watching the episode. I just got too frustrated. Is it, it's like Planet Earth. Yeah, exactly. Like the nature show. Yeah, but it's a oh, it's like a different those. kind of one. Yeah, okay. I like those. You know, I can sometimes like I like those nature shows, except when they get like sort of theological, and then I'm just like, nah. Just talk about the animals, how yeah. cool they are, and Komodo dragons and whatever. Oh, yeah. But it was just you know, seemed like he was pontificating. Anywho, but I do I do want to applaud Mike. Uh, Father Mike, because uh, he came all the way here without a computer, and he didn't get mad. He just took a slug of water, and he said, all right, I'll see you later, and then just left, and then came all the way back, and we have his computer now, but no simple technological apparatus of the micro USB, and we're just recording on the computer, because we're this is how dedicated we are. We're going to record even without the proper equipment. Yeah. That's how much we love you. Let's call it a campfire recording. It's summertime. Campfire chats. Campfire chats. This is a campfire campfire chat. <laughs> this isn't a this actually would be a campfire chat. Because last time we we said we were gonna do a follow-up episode. This is the quickest I think we've ever delivered on a follow-up episode. Father John would promise, like, we're gonna do a follow-up episode right. on this, and yeah, then it'll but be he's like got six. Like, he's got like twelve parts. Right. I guess his faith, hope, and love was kind of his classic. That was the one. Yeah, that took a while. Yeah, I don't. I think he didn't do Pride Love because that's what he is. Is that what uh, he? Is that what he is? I don't know. I, I actually don't even know that full system. So yeah. Anyways, well, so then here we are around the campfire. Here we are. If you remember the last time, right? And you mentioned it as we were upstairs. The line in Latin. Do you remember? Yeah. Seek. Seek vis pacem, parabellum. 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 If you want peace, prepare for war. So today... So this is part two on peace. This is part two on uh, the sword. Oh, the sword. Okay. Because you brought up the passage uh, from scripture where Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but the sword. The sword, yeah. And uh, part of the way in which we find our peace is through conflict. And not like we actively seek it or, um, you know, we think that we're just going to impose order. Um, But there is a way in which we are going to come into conflict with persons if we're living, if we're living the truth of the gospel. Jesus says in the same passage, I think, um, 
uh, I came to, you know, set a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a father-in-law against, you know, his brother-in-law and, you know, children against parents and everyone against one another because their true allegiances are going to come out. Yeah. So, and it, I, just another passage that's in my mind is this Simeon stuff where he says, this one is destined for the rise and fall of many. Yeah. And he, because he knows the hearts of people. Right. You know, and he, but he kind of flips everything on its head. And um, yeah, he, in a world that's already sy- systemically disordered, there has to be some kind of force to set order into that world. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're going with the sword? Well, we're building up to a fundamental question because I think one of the one of the saints that I want to examine who brought the sword uh, was um, Saint Boniface. And he didn't really bring a sword. He brought a battle axe. Oh yeah. He brought a chainsaw. So um, we heard about Saint Boniface at Mass a couple weeks ago in uh, preparing for Pentecost because it was the final days before the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I got so excited about St. Boniface that I walked out and I celebrated the whole Mass for St. Boniface, preached on St. Boniface, only to find out that it was June 4th. Oh. And his birthday was the, his uh, Saint's Day was the next day, June 5th. Uh. So I came out the next day and did another homily on St. Boniface. So they got a double dose of St. Boniface. But St. Boniface, in short, is known for this famous story. You know, I think he's he was actually one of the first podcast topics. Is that right? Uh, with the tree? Yeah. The I, Thunder Oak. Yeah, I think he, we might have done that. Exactly. I think that's where I first heard about St. Boniface. So the... I think if, if it was my topic, I don't remember, but if it was my topic, it came from Father Matt Book, because he's a big fan of this Boniface and this story. Bonifacio. Yep. So Boniface is preaching to the pagans in Germany, and they have a particular oak that is dedicated to the god of Jupiter. Is that right? And they believe that somehow this oak tree is associated with the the god of Jupiter, and they worship this tree, and uh, good things happen. And Boniface listens to them for a while, and then eventually he goes and he chops down the tree. Yep. Much to the surprise and horror of of some of the people who are involved, because for them, like it's interesting, we could even do a whole other podcast on the role of thunder and the German people, mm. because a lot of their greatest saints, or even like their um, controversial figures, even Luther, had major experiences surrounding thunder. Yeah, um, uh, in in. In their conversion or the whatever. The woods, the forest, yeah. Yeah. So then, um, anyways, so Boniface chops down this tree to kind of prove that whatever you thought was the real God is not the real God. So instead of being peaceable, instead of being lenient, instead of being sort of, um, uh, I don't know, a diplomatic, if you will, he goes in and he causes this like stir by just doing what uh, needed to happen, namely, uh, I'm going to free you from the influence of of pagan practices. Mm-hmm. So then he's embodying he's embodying something of the sword that Jesus is talking about, which is you have to bring division. Yeah. You have to bring out like you have to confront people with the truth of uh, true worship. So my question, yeah, I think you have to be inspired by God. You got to be discerning. And yeah. then you also got to be, you kind of have to have a big picture. Like, is this going to work? You know? And obviously he saw, you know, a future in that activity. Not that it always has to work like that. There's, in Acts of the Apostles, you have moments where, Paul, I'm thinking of like Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas go to um, uh, Lystra. That's right. And they say, 
God has been providing for you with the your the, the storms and with the sunshine and the seasons and has been providing for. And he's using language that belongs to their understanding of Zeus. Mythology. And, and he doesn't ever say, um, your Zeus is wrong. In this case. Okay. Now, some would say that in Acts, they are accommodating to, um, or what would you, kind of what you were setting up, like this sort of tolerance thing of like, oh, it's all the same. Something syncretist. And in, yeah. in Athens, he also says, oh, you got that God, uh, the unknown to God. an unknown God. Yeah. You got an altar to the unknown God. It's not a statue. You don't have a picture. You don't even know. You haven't named this God, but let me tell you who it is. It's the creator God, the God of Israel, uh, the God known through and revealed in Jesus Christ. And, and they just kind of scoff and everything. There's other stories, though, where, like in, in Ephesus, Paul causes a riot, and he knows he's going to cause a riot. And he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from that. Yeah. He tells them, your idols are false. Um, he takes the, you remember he, he casts out this demon from the possessed woman who's uh, fortune telling and things like that for money mm-hmm. and, um, undermines the business of the of local people right. and their, their faith in their gods. Yeah. That's when he ticks off the coppersmith. Yeah. Alexander. Yep. Cause and, he's probably making gods and little idols, yeah. souvenirs, knickknacks. But this is a, this is for the sake of a greater truth and he's. Right. Not afraid to shake it up. And part of what Acts tells you is like, okay, these people, they're not trying to undermine the order just to be provocative or to to say our tribe is better than your tribe. But the 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 proclamation of the gospel has that effect. It has to it has to shake up the comforts of the you know, the city that's established. Yeah. Even, I mean, just looking, because th- these are part of the readings from that day uh, when uh, we did the Boniface did reading. The Boniface, yeah. uh, from the Acts of the Apostles, uh, this is Acts 20, Paul speaking to the presbyters of the church of Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves and over the whole flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, in which you tend the church of God that he acquired with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, and they will not spare the flock. And from your own group, men will come forward, perverting the truth to draw the disciples away from them. So be vigilant. And remember that for three years, night and day, I unceasingly admonished each of you with tears. And uh, he kind of goes on. Um, and then Jesus says in the gospel, speaking of his disciples, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And I consecrate myself for them so that they may be consecrated in truth. We see in that that like there's a, a spirit of protecting persons from the evil one and especially from the evil and malicious kind of words that can begin to kind of pervert them away from the true practice of the faith. And that's, I think, what Boniface was doing. Somebody had convinced them that uh, this oak had more power than it really did, and so he just naturally frees them from it by chopping down the tree. So here's my question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you could perceive in the culture right now one thunder oak, and you could chop down one thunder oak in the culture, what would it be? Well, and there's, I don't know if there's a right. I already know. Well, I know what I'd say to you right now is I'm working on this uh, attempt. The this garden. Initiative with the Colorado State legislate, Legislature oh. to um, right. limit the availability of pornography to minors. And a lot of states are moving in this direction, trying to do something. There's a, a disturbing reality uh, that, or statistics have been gathered that, that say that 85% of young people see pornography before they're 12, boys and girls, you know. Wow. And it's just terribly destructive. 
it's super confusing. Screws up the way you think about romance, about yourself, self-perception, vanity. Kids are already very like, um, I don't know what, like overly self-conscious or critical with this social media stuff. They're always, you know, sizing themselves up with the yeah. others, you know, is my life as happy and fancy as that last one. And, and also like prone to um, confusion when it comes to what's real and what's um, uh, just kind of a storyline, what's, what's pretend. So this stuff, and then not to mention that it kind of has a, uh, um, what do you call it, like a snowball effect where it, it kind of ropes in with more innocent things and leads to a lot of very extreme right. things. It awakens and it awakens them to a reality that they're not even privy to and don't need to be privy to. They just need to learn to relate to one another as friends and as like kind of in a way like brothers and sisters. But then all of a sudden it like eroticizes everything. Um, and so my my friend who was a teacher and or a counselor for junior high, she said we have sixth graders who are sexting each other already. Sixth graders. Yeah. Like, why? Right. Like, they don't even understand what that means. And it's just creating all this shame, especially for young girls, because they feel like they have to, they have to participate in it or else they won't be loved. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even know kind of how that would, you know, how that would work at that, at that age. And the fact that it's so widespread, it's just kind of amazes me but i think the what i see as the oak really for culturally fine there's the there's pornography and it's way too available and that's um that's a problem i mean it's a problem that we can address um but there's there's an underlying problem of people a lot of people who will defend things that are not wise for uh like but widespread in the culture um on silly ideological grounds particularly out of freedom and um a a um hesitation to censor in this case it's a hesitation to censor right nothing should be censored people should use their good judgment to avoid things that are too extreme for them but other people should be free to choose whatever you know entertainments they want well, they're, they're just wrong when it comes to kids. What they're talking about is adults. And it's not good for adults, but there is a certain amount of maturity that at a certain point you you are free to do things that are unwise. But we have to protect children. And we have to, even as a society, hmm. try to set up a society that develops or helps them to develop into adults that are wise and discerning and not scarred and traumatized and confused. And so there's something of, um, yeah, just the protecting that, um, people surprisingly will say, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't change that because you're going to limit the internet. You want to limit the internet, then you're going down a dangerous road, father Mike. Right. No, I'll chop down that tree, man. Right. It's for the sake of the the truth and protecting kids. I don't care about your fear about where this could go. It is harming lots of people right yeah. now. Yeah. So put an end to it and then let's figure out how to be free, you know. And this won't limit our freedom so drastically. It's just people are so attached to yeah. that idea of absolute <sighs> License and freedom and don't tell anybody what to see, do, think. But I think I think it's a wider I think it's a wider topic because you're also saying you're also saying that this tree, this oak, not only has ramifications for children, but also for adults as well. So then the question becomes, is there anything good about this? Is there any redeeming value of witnessing uh, persons simulating or actually 
engaging in a sexual act for the pleasure of other person's entertainment or arousal. And the truth of the matter is no, there's that completely takes love out of its proper context and just uh, simulates it uh, for other people's arousal. And I mean, it, it leads to human trafficking. It leads to higher rates of, uh, the mis, uh, the misuse of the sexual faculties, both in marriage and outside of marriage. And some people don't even get married because they don't need to, because they're, they're perfectly content to just have a cyber screen. And, um, I mean, I don't want to go too, you know, graphic into this, no, but it's just, one it's of just, the worst things is that it normalizes violence. Yeah. You know, this is not normal stuff. Right. This is this is stuff that was creepy and perverted and um, has sort of worked its way like the frog in the water, you know? Yeah. Right. So then I think that the danger is people are like, well, we should just, just get rid of a limb. Just get rid of that limb. Make sure that limb's not hanging over the kid's nursery. But we should be able to keep this. And it was fascinating. I was at a I was at a conference at DU, which was talking about pornography, and uh, some of the people there were actually speaking out against it. And then I kind of made the comment, like, you know, it, within the thing, like, why do we need this at all? And they were like, oh, we should have censorship, and these women should get paid, and and I was like, why should we have this at all? And it was like, oh my gosh, here's a Christian extremist, you know? I mean, obviously, we're, we're not saying that we don't need it at all. It's just we want to regulate it. Well, it, it's not actually helping anyone. And if it's not actually helping persons, why do we have it in a society? Why would we allow it in a society? Well, I could, I could play devil's advocate, but I don't know how, you know, I think we've kind of already gone beyond like the family episode. Can I play devil's advocate and just like, Propose why I think people do defend it. Sure, if you want. Well, we can put an explicit, you know, sticker on this <laughs> yeah, we campfire might, we chat. We might have to, yeah, with the campfire chat. Well, it's. I mean, I have been doing. I've Here's been, where you go to bed, Timmy. I've been doing. I have been doing research on it, and they a lot of a lot of the arguments for have to do with the idea that there is a lot of sexual perversion and confusion in our world today. And uh, particularly in this sort of um, gender identity, um, kind of uh, sexual identity uh, atmosphere, of these things are up in the air and you have to really kind of explore and discover like what you want and choose Instead of like, just this is who you are, you know. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that for uh, for adults, pornography, and even for for teens, some people think the pornography can be a way that in in your own private environment you can sort of um, explore your own sexual desires and uh, discover yourself in that way and then become more comfortable with yourself and, and own it now. But then what you do is you, you create a sexual desire that's, that's separated from the expression of it in, uh, in marriage where you actually learn that my, my sexual desire is ordered towards another who I've, I've actually handed my life over to and who I need and not just to be, not just to be entertained or titillated or aroused by, but actually who I want to lay my life down for. And in that context, I find a, a deeper passion. I mean, I was, I was reading one of these books, somebody donated a bunch of books and within it, it had some, uh, handbooks on, sexual love for married couples. And I was like, what is this? So one of the things it was saying is like, you should have a sense of humor. Like if you're a young married couple, you need to learn within the sexual context to have a sense of humor. Like it's not going to be perfect every time and be patient with one another. And I was like, 
Honestly, like, I think that's great advice. Yeah. But then yeah, the yeah. fact that these people see all of these things online means that they get their an idea in their head that all of a sudden they need to be like Don Juan and figure out how to conquest their their partner. And it's like, this is not this is not the reason why the the two of you have been brought together. So that no, you can it's all it's all fantasy. And it's all fake. I, that's my my primary issue with it is that this is not real. You're not really exploring yourself. You're not coming to understand yourself because the way or that the you, other the way that you do that is that you ask somebody out on a date. Then you get nervous and you get scared and then you talk to them and you enjoy that experience or you have a kiss or you have these. Real experiences that sort of gradually help you to come to know yourself as a sexual being, yeah, yeah. as a sexual person, right? Um, and but they're real, they're real. You know, you're not gonna and they're interpersonal. Yeah, it's not just in you; right. it's actually right. You can't do it on your own. You can't. That's not how it works. It's not. It's not how we're we are. Um, I'm trying to think of an analogy, something like. If you want to make money, uh, you're not going to make money by spending a lot of time watching Kobe Bryant in his you know, personal life, watching him talk about his house and his car and his money. Um, even if you say, well, if I could be like him, if I could just be like him. But you're not. You're a different person. You're not an all-star basketball player. And sure. What you have to do is figure out how you can make money and how you can work hard and how you can, you know, apply yourself and your talents. And so there's something about just reality. People are, people are losing. And I work with a lot of young people who are really kind of paralyzed. Um, not everybody, but there are enough of them who are paralyzed with the romantic relationships. And they either go to one extreme or the other. They're just going to have to hook up because it's like, I don't know what else to do. And I just have to go, you know, real real strong. And then there's no, like, friendship developed. There's no, I mean, it's there's, there's something very missing with that experience. Mm-hmm. Or they're just totally afraid to even, you know, ask somebody out on a date or right. something. And then they come into me and they say, oh, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Well, just go and do something. Right. I'm like, people were in paralyzed. People, people were in foxholes in, in like, you know, World War One and World War Two, And they knew amidst all of that terror, amidst all of that, you know, kind of PTSD, you know, culture. As soon as I get home, I'm asking this girl out. I'm actually going right up to her and I'm going to lay one on her. <laughs> and I'm just going to be like, we're getting married, you know. And they were unafraid. And I think that our uh, the men of our culture and the women of our culture they don't know how to be together because they think that it's all going to lead uh, to sex or it's uh, there's hidden or latent motivations that I'm not really comfortable with. So like I just need to get away. I'm like just go and dance with that stupid yeah. guy. But you, know? you don't. That's it. You don't work it out by trying to figure it out on the side, right? Without another person and without right. You know, without engaging yourself so, in reality. I mean, I don't want to... Was this your oak? No, this was one of them. Okay. I said I said there's really three oak. One of them... I said one of them is... Um, one of them would be uh, the... The miss... I, I think I said either pornography or, uh, or contraception. Just kind of saying, like, we've made sex into a sport... And it is something like, it's just sort of casual, you know, you can kind of take it or leave it or, you know, enjoy it as you want it or uh, not. And instead of it being within its proper context of marriage, um, and I think that's really been detrimental. And so if we just all of a sudden just said, if they came down and said, actually, contraception contraceptions are, are leading to uh, women's bodies being, you know, kind of uh, demoralized and, and corrupted and hurting them. I saw a commercial the other day for an IUD where the the tagline was you can't even take care of a plant. 
do you really think you can take care of a toddler? And I was like, oh my gosh, you are so wicked. It's condescending. Well, it's 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 frightening. It's frightening these people into saying uh, you can't even you can't even do the right things. So keep doing the wrong things, but we're just going to put this little yeah. device in you so that you don't you don't make a mistake. So that was one of them. The one that I said uh, was uh, party politics. I think in America right now, if we could chop down the tree of party politics and just say there is no more there is no more parties to be to be part of there are issues and you need to align yourself with issues and you need to actually research those issues and we're going to reform uh different uh, different uh i don't know not parties but we're going to find people that are passionate about uh these issues and we're going to we're going to see what happens because sometimes people blindly uh, just listen to their own party members, but they're not listening to the church when it comes to, we have to defend the truth wherever we find it. And sometimes we're going to find ourselves in the middle of a political party that we're not really welcome in, but we actually agree on this issue for Republicans. It's going to be immigration. And I'm not saying that immigration, that the Democrats have a perfect view on immigration, but I would definitely say that we have a responsibility to the migrant and to the immigrant that perhaps like we haven't really fully articulated well um, as as a conservative party or something. But then again, like a Democrat literally in their own party can't be pro-life. I mean, they have actually said, I think that they want part of their platform to be on-demand abortion for every single woman. So now all of a sudden, like you can't even be a, you can't even be a pro-life Democrat. Right. And so if we were to just tear that whole thing down, I think it would be for the best of everyone. I want to get to this last one because I think it'd be interesting. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. If you will. Drain the swamp. Well, I think, I mean, in Colorado we're doing it. I'm a little cynical. I'm a little skeptical of this particular tree because I think the weeds grow up <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, I, in Colorado, I think we had like 11 different parties that were represented in the, in the last vote. And they're trying, but I wasn't terribly impressed with any of those parties. They have the same idea, though, that the, the bipartisan thing, is, it's f- frustrating for everyone because you're trapped into it into espousing um, issues that you, you know, like morals and values that you don't agree with, but you have to pick one or the other. And they're not, they're so messy right now um, that they don't really represent everybody. They don't hardly represent anybody, you know, but that's where I think that the, 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 the people have to be awakened to the reality of, we need to be informed as um, as citizens and demand from our representation that they represent the issues that we think are important as opposed to the party that we've sort of voted in. And I, I just don't think it helps. People that, people that watch Fox News mindlessly mm. and just demonize the other part, the people that watch CNN mindlessly and demonize the other part, they're not actually engaged with one another. I've gotten into these arguments oh, yeah. before at, uh, at, at family gatherings or at dinners, and I'm just like, I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I just don't. Yeah. And I don't think that's the reason why Jesus has invested us with a responsibility to our fellow man. Um, and I think it's to awaken them to the truth of, of the gospel, not in, we've got to get more people to vote you know, Democrat, or we got to get more people to vote Republican. Yeah, that was mine. This is what uh, somebody else said. Okay, and it 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 certainly uh, awakened in me uh, some thumos that I was uh, I had some unprocessed rage around it. Um, I said this to a, a a a local priest. I asked him this question. I said, if you could get rid of one oak, this thunder oak, you know, in the in the society, what would you do? He said, I would set my sights on uh, young adult, young sports for kids. 
like Ooh. the soccer fields. Oh yeah, that's controversial. <laughs> and I, uh, I would agree because I drove past Stinger, which is the Stinger is the big soccer fields near me, on a Sunday, and they were having a massive tournament. Massive. Every single parking spot was full. There were families out there. There were tents out there. They were selling food. It was an absolute festival, mm-hmm. and I was like, it is godless absolutely godless these people will make huge sacrifices huge financial sacrifices they'll make uh sacrifices of their time they'll rearrange their whole schedule they'll take the whole family put sunscreen on them put a four-year-old kid under a tent just to watch timmy kick a ball uh you know into a into a goal what are we doing well, and I think maybe part of the concern for me is that you don't have – it's the momentum of the culture. It's like the force of the culture that if you're a Catholic family, then you have to go with the schedule of the tournament. You know, you don't have yep. the power really to say we only play on Saturdays or we'll – practice during the week but it's not going to rule our lives um you're really at the at the mercy of other people and their values um it's true it's a societal thing now godless i don't godless because they don't have god first soccer is a sport that's a leisurely event i love watching um mexicans or africans or like if there's a european league or whatever else of guys who are like this is part of their culture that they 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 just do this they just play i mean i was hearing stories about bob marley that like soccer was like part of how he made his music was Mm -hmm. every single day they had time for meditation and they had time for soccer and um but you got to put first things first. And these persons aren't consecrating their families to God. They are ordering their families to, and whether they know it or not, they're ordering their families to, we worship at the altar of success, scoring, winning. And I'm like, Christianity has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Now, St. Paul well, no, would say, to- run so as to win. All the people work for an imperishable crown. Why not we for, yeah. for a perishable crown? Right. But it's like... Now, I, 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 okay, I'm, I'm with you that this really gets in the way, can really get in the way of uh, spiritual life, certainly religious practice, Christian practice. And communal living. Um, yeah, it centers around, so it could definitely have, bad intentions and, and uh, distorted values like this over competition in society success um, we're winners winners you be a winner kid um, it can push kids too hard it's kind of our typical way of doing that I think in American culture um, what I saw in Europe was more like well if you're in, interested and you're good at it then yeah maybe you can do some of it you know but it's not like parents will tell you, okay, you're going to do this and right. you're going to be awesome at it. You're yep. going to excel. Well, We're going to put you in camps. The fact is that, I mean, maybe this is a hard thing to hear, but uh, it's some, some tiny percentage of these kids who are going to succeed in the long term. Who are going to play in college, for example. Sure. You know, yeah, it's fine. You always wanted to. But to, to just put your kid through – a lot of hell um, because you want, because you want them to do what you haven't done, but they love it. The kids love it. The kids, the kids, kids have devotion. They begin turning their, their hearts, which are actually tuned to and primed for devotion to God, devotion to like family devotion Mm -hmm. to the saints and then playing games by all means. But That's like true. now, the game the, is fun. Now, how much the, do you think? How much of it do you think is the pleasing the parents? 
Like I they think, know they know that this really delights the parents. Yeah, and it does. It's fun to watch your kids do this. Now, here's here's the reason that I I, I push back a little bit is because it's one of the last things in our culture that's familial, and maybe it's that's even the worst part because that's where we're putting our family investment. But it's not familial. It's not the last thing. People today. It's one of the things it brings families together. They take the time off. Parents are not thinking about work for a minute. The the family goes to watch each other play these sports. They play together sometimes. I think it can be. And I, that right. that part, fine. You're not necessarily saying a prayer at the beginning, but that's important. That's love. That's sure. Community. And I think yeah. I, I Again, like it's not that all of this is just – we're not going to be able to. We're not going to be able to harvest any of it. But once you freed them of the the impact of excessive worship of this idol, now all of a sudden they can give themselves over to the right worship of God and put this in its proper place. Mm. Sandy Koufax, who was one of the greatest pitchers to ever play the game, didn't pitch on the Sabbath. In the World Series. Ooh. And. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is not just legend or lore or whatever else. Like, he really took a stand for his religious beliefs. And I just think most of the culture would just be like, ah, no big deal. Why are we making such a big deal about this, you know? And I'm like, what you've effectively done is you've made your children into... Uh, sport bots mm-hmm. and you have placed certain values above where it needs to be and that's where um, the righteous the righteous indignation kind of flares up and well could you push back I mean what do you have a recommendation for you know parents who are I just I just had dinner with a family and their kids like sports and they grew up on sports and sure our great, great Catholic family and everything. So what does a person like, like a parent like that do in that situation? Is it just hierarchy? Do everything you can. No, just form the hierarchy. We we're a family. We dinners together. We go to mass. We do devotional life. We pray the stations of the cross or rosaries. Like not because like we think we're going to earn points or whatever, but this is part of our life. Yeah. Um, it's the most important. Yeah, um, we've got to we've got to work sometimes. You got to do chores. You got to do, you know, work on the work of the house, work on the home, like farm life. I mean, I whatever it is. I mean, you have to pretty much make a a mini farm, you know, out of your home, um, and just kind of say, look, everybody's got different responsibilities. This only works well if everybody's kind of pulling together. Um, and then if we've if we've operated in all of these facets, then we get to play games. If not, we're not going to play games because playing games is for the rich and we're not rich. The rich are the ones that get to have the leisure, play the polo, do all these things. We're going to work and we're going to have time for, for joyful recreation, but it's not like all the time and we're not going to order our entire lives around it. And granted, like if you have a, if you're on a team or, you know, you kind of, you know, whatever, like you, you have responsibilities, fine, but it's all in right order. And yeah. the, the order begins from the parents. The parents are the ones that have to dictate it. Yeah. If it's not the parents, the children will do it or somebody else will tell you how to raise your kids. And I just think I looked oh, out I there, do, I looked I out there and say, I said, there are more people, there are more people at this stinger you know, soccer field than there were at Christmas. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, I mean, it's all consuming. It can be, it's like, um, yeah, I do think there's, you're right about this hierarchy, the priorities, um, life is put it in a context. This isn't your whole life. Um, you know, there's questions, there's big questions about how to parent and like, what, what, what is the, what is the place of fun for kids? Yeah. And what is the, you know, what is the value of, 
I'd say it's good. It's a good thing to value um, sport and athleticism just for exercise sake, for um, other things than just winning. Sure. Although I don't like the, <laughs> I don't. I do think the competition can be helpful, but it's like you say, it's a piece of, you know, a piece of life. Um, right. And I, it's and it's pro. It's one of these cultural giants. I would just say, looking, stepping back from it as a prophet, because a, a priest is called to have a prophetic role. The Christian is called to have a pro- prophetic role in the community. Stepping back from that situation, and again, this is this priest who said who said that, and he's not on here right now, so I can't give his whole uh, apology for why he said he wanted to get rid of those young adult sports or whatever, young kids sports. Um, but seeing all of those tents up, I said, I said, this is where this is where people's devotion is, because they're making real sacrifices to come and be here. Yeah. Same way, same way with um, you know, the Broncos stadium on Sunday where you look at all the people, the pageantry, the tradition, the colors, the, you know, like they th- there's a whole liturgy around oh, yeah. around, you know, watching sports. And I'm I'm all I'm for it in in certain doses. Yeah. But when it when it no, comes just... when it comes down to it, it's like if you step back from this and you say, "Is this good for our culture?" I think I think a, a, a Christian would say, "How does are we applying the same energy to the to the love um, of God and neighbor?" Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I the word worship is kind of is derived from this English worthship. Yep. What do you value? What are you exactly? What are your priorities? And I, it would be very interesting to see uh, some statistics about because people are always complaining. Oh, the church is asking for money, or you know, uh, religion asks oh. for, for money, or oh, yeah. you want my time, or whatever. Right. Let's compare. Uh, you know, how much money is spent on sports in America compared to religion? Not that I want all your money. I'm just saying. Where, well, I'm going to say it. What are you? What do you value? I'm going to say. What is worthy in your life? What do you worship? Yeah. You know, what do you worship? And as a culture, I mean, it's it's gross, grossly inordinate, right? So, give me the statistics about how much money is spent and on the and on sport or entertainment or religion. Or also the numbers on how much hours, you know, how much time is spent. Because right. that's the same thing. You know, yeah. this is what you have to give. And mm-hmm. like, what do you think is worthy enough of yours? Yeah. So I do, I think he might have found the oak. It's kind of scary to hear though. I mean, I have my qualms. Too. Yeah. I mean, because if, if the Thunder Oak is in the middle of the community, like the people are pretty happy to have it. Like they like going out pageantry, you know, we, we kind of do our songs around the Oak, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody chops it down. It's like, Whoa, like, I can't believe you just got rid of that. You're saying you you said, get rid of pornography. I said, get rid of politics, like party politics. Mm -hmm. He said, get rid of, um, like youth soccer or whatever. Like sometimes like people would just be like, what? Oh, that's dumb. That's absolutely dumb. You know what I would do? I would uh, I would get more gun control laws. That's not a thunder oak, lady. If you want to really want to cause a shift, like tear down one of these idols, it would, I think I think people would be. I think another one. Yeah, I don't want to go on again. We're not going to get another tangent. <laughs> we can do this all night. Ah, that's fun, man. But like, what I, I think, like it, what I think is I important. Like the reason it's why I think this just to, to kind of sum up all of it is that Jesus comes to bring order to the universe um, through nonviolence, through handing himself over, and then after he resurrects, instead of violence and being immortal now and visiting vengeance upon the people. He sends a dove. He sends a dove of peace on his people, like through the Holy Spirit, and he impels them to go out and be prophetic witnesses in the world. 
And he gives them this encouragement because he knows, like, you are going to be speaking the sword of truth, which is going to cut marrow from bone and is going to divide husbands, wives, communities. You are going to live differently. People will hate you because of my name, but I've overcome the world. And so as, as much as we invite the peace, know that the peace is actually going to cause division because you're going to be able to say, we've found something new because we've been freed from false worship. And so I think that's this, it's this battle between the, the peace of, of uh, the Holy Spirit and the sword of, of, uh, sword of truth. Truth. Mm. So I like it. I, I think that's brilliant. I, I like, I think there's something about prophets that we don't see a lot of, not, not with a lot of wisdom at least. And I, I see the challenge in this one, and I, I like it. I think it's fitting for the Christian life, and it, it does represent the challenge. If we live differently than the rest of the world, how are my kids going to – what are my kids going to think? What are my neighbors going to think? Yeah. What are my friends going to think? Yeah. How am I going to feel about myself? Mm-hmm. All this stuff. So that's the challenge is really going to the heart. And I kind of conclude with two lines from – uh, one from Dorothy Day, one from Peter Marin, um, who the they asked they asked Dorothy Day, a bunch of seminarians, they asked Dorothy Day, what what can we do to help the poor? And she uh, she looked out at the parking lot and she goes, get rid of all of those. To the, about the cars, get rid of all your cars. Ooh. Because what it would force you to do is you would have to you'd have to be with the poor. Yeah, you got to ride the bus. You got to ride the bus. Uh-huh. And now all of a sudden they can encounter you and you can encounter them. Uh-huh. And then Peter Marin, they asked Peter Marin, uh, it's kind of a similar question. And he, he said something, maybe it wasn't the question, but he said, the coat in your closet belongs to the poor. Yeah, I've heard that. So get rid of, get rid of the excess, get rid of what you don't need. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, those are prophetic witnesses. We need more of those. And I'm not saying we have all the answers. You know, we can talk to a lot of intelligent people and they're probably going to come up with different thunder oaks. But what I would say is at some point we got to lay the ax to the tree and actually say, as a culture, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. All right. I like it. All right. I want to talk about a peace warrior real quick. I think we're over time, but uh, I'm going to read one letter. Okay. Uh, dear uh, fathers... Uh, from the podcast is a fan from Sydney, Australia. All right. Thank you for the podcast. Nate. I enjoy the banter and, and thank you for helping me grow in my faith, be it Rome or Denver. Know that you have fans all over the world who appreciate the work you are doing and pray that it can continue. God bless you all. Ian Scoos. Thanks, Ian. Ian is a black belt. Uh, and was in a black belt competition in Orlando. Super chill guy, super kind guy, and he showed up with this image of Our Lady, Our Lady of the Southern Cross, Help of Christians, uh, which is one of the uh, Australian images from World Youth Day. Um, so Pope Benedict XVI blessed this painting of Our Lady of the Southern Cross, Help of Christians, which hangs in St. Mary's Cathedral, Sydney. So he got us this warrior princess, Super sweet, and we're gonna hang it in our in our podcast studio. It is beautiful. Father Mike did like it. Well, it's almost like it's like a realist thing. It's almost like a photo. Um, it's I yeah I guess just very well painted this way, but these beautiful models, kind of fun looking Jesus. I love it. I like the night sky. I like the the look of the uh, uh, Australian countryside back there um this is new for me i it's, love it it says it's a twilight praise sk- god twilight sky uh so he can show both the landscape and the suggestion of the southern cross the stars in the sky in addition to the southern cross are as accurately as i can paint them in their correct positions in the southern sky so uh to all of our brothers and sisters who were united with in australia uh we thank you and Absolutely. Uh, our lady is a warrior princess and she is peaceable, and she's mama, and she's going to protect us. So, Our Lady, Queen of, of, Queen of the Truth, Our Lady of the Southern Cross, pray for us. Amen.
Catholic Stuff Podcast, gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook, um, other platforms that are technologically related, where you do or don't need a micro USB. Good, good, good night. Vibrations. I'm like kind of tired at this point. Later. Uh, good vibrations. What is that? Beach Boys. Yep. <laughs> See ya. See ya, everybody. Yeah.